words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable in your sight, O God, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Amen. can be seated. I want to talk to you today about this theme of the the resurrected body and the, the glory of the resurrected body that we see in 1 Corinthians 15. And uh, I do hope that you're able to get that passage out in the Pew Bibles or your own Bible because it was cut short in the bulletin. And I do want to talk about uh, what comes after. I think it was verse 46 that it was cut off. Um, you know, this is, this is one of the great hopes that flow from the Easter reality of the risen Lord Jesus as His body was raised to new and unending life. Those who are united with Him, we have the hope that our bodies too will be raised to new and unending life. And it's going to be a body that is fit for a particular purpose. And we'll get to that towards the end here. Um, but this is the great hope that we have. And uh, as, as, as you know, many of you better than, than I do, as you age, as your body wears down, you can kind of relate to what Paul says in Romans chapter 8 where he says, um, we groan for the redemption of our bodies. We groan for the redemption of our bodies as we age, as we get sick. Um, I've heard a phrase that I wish I had a dollar for every time I've heard it in this church. It's no fun getting old. It's no fun getting old. But it beats the old But it beats the Yeah. But there's even a more glorious future than, than what that phrase indicates. Because you can't escape the alternative, but there's a more glorious future beyond it. Beyond death. And that's what we celebrate in, in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Um, you know, it's not just aging, it's, uh, and it's not just pain, but, but the impulses of our body, our bodily desires, uh, can lead us down paths where we end up not doing what's best for us and not doing what we really want to do. This is particularly, you see this particularly when people struggle with addictions. It's like they're almost prisoner to their bodily impulses. I heard a report just last week of a young lady who had struggled with opioid addiction, which we know is such a scourge today. And she overdosed intentionally on opioid pills because she said she was done because she saw no escape. And she said, it was, I was doing something I didn't want to do. Her brain and her impulses, her bodily impulses, she didn't feel free from those things. Now, thankfully, obviously, she was, she was saved and she's recovered. And now she's working in, in recovery and helping other people. But, you know, the body, God created it to be good. Genesis teaches us that. God created male and female in His image. God created the human body and called it good. God says it is very good after He created male and female in His image. But because of our rebellion against God, because of sin, because of the corruption of sin, um, our bodies are often a source of pain and anxiety. And so we can enter into this groaning that Paul talks about in Romans chapter 8, a longing for redemption. 
a longing to be embodied in a, in a, in a different way, in a, in a fully life-giving way. And that's, that's the promise that we have in Jesus Christ. And so that's what um, Paul is wanting to bring out here in 1 Corinthians 15. This is a key chapter in the New Testament on the resurrection of Jesus and the implication of the resurrection of Jesus. 1 Corinthians 15, very important passage for us to reflect on and to study. And in this passage, I just want to look at the, the, some questions that he answers. What will the resurrected body be like? We don't have a whole lot of answers to that, but we get some indication. What will the resurrected body be like? And how, what is the basis for hoping that we will have a resurrected body? And then, you know, what is the ultimate purpose of the resurrected body? I think those questions are, are answered here, not necessarily in the, in the fullest way that we would want, but there, there, are, there are hints here. So that first question, what will the resurrected body be like? Really, he answers it by saying what it won't be like um, when he starts off in verse 35. But someone will ask, and I think the tone here is somebody's going to ask this skeptically, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body? Do they come? Because the Greeks, and Corinth was a Greek city, they believed, many of them, most of them, in the immortality of the soul, but the idea of the resurrection, a resurrected body, they scoffed at. Why would you want a resurrected body? The body is the source of so much pain and problems. Why would you even want it? And how is that even possible? Because the body wears down, the body breaks down. And so, uh, so Paul answers this way. Here's a, here's a nice way to connect with your audience when you're trying to make a persuasive argument to somebody. You start off by calling them a fool. <laughs> you're a foolish person. The apostle can do that, I guess. I don't think I could get away with that. you foolish person. Your thinking is foolish here. It's kind of what he's getting at here. What you sow does not come to life Unless it dies. So he's, now he's going to say, you just need to think about what you see in nature. And there's an analogy here. So just think about what you see in nature. What you sow in the ground does not come to life unless it dies. The seed has to die to its seed-like state in order to become something else, in order to become plant. And what you sow is not the body that is to be, but a bare kernel. Perhaps of wheat or some other grain. But God gives it a body as he has chosen. Now, he's been talking about the natural process. And that's interesting in verse 38 where he says, God, God has designed the natural process to work this way. That seeds develop into plants. God is behind that order of nature. But God gives it a body as he has chosen. And to each kind of seed its own body. The main point that Paul is making here at this point is the body that is going to be raised is different from the body that is buried, the body that that dies. And he uses this analogy from nature. I, I like the way Eugene Peterson translates it or paraphrases it rather in the message um, Bible. Here's what Eugene Peterson says, and this is kind of paraphrasing Paul's argument using an analogy from nature about what's going to happen to the resurrected body. Uh, he says, you would never guess what a tomato would look like by looking at the tomato seed. 
could never guess that. I mean, we're so used to seeing it that it doesn't take us by surprise anymore. But you tell a little two-year-old, in this seed is going to emerge a, from this seed is going to come a glorious tomato plant. <laughs> or uh, 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 this, from this seed is going to come an oak tree. You know, you tell a little kid that and their eyes open up in wide-eyed wonder. How is that possible? We're used to seeing this, but it really is, in a sense, miraculous that God has designed nature this way. Well, if God can do that with seeds, God can do that with bodies, human bodies, something like that. You see, the power of God. And so um, Eugene Peterson says you, you would never guess what a tomato would look like by looking at the tomato seed. The dead body, in other words, that we bury in the ground and the resurrection body that comes from it will be dramatically different. So the body is the pre-resurrection seed. And then the resurrected body is the, is the plant that emerges. It will be different. Now, we see in the story of Jesus' post-resurrection appearances, this continuity with his former body, but also discontinuity. Continuity, we see it in, in this story where he says, you know, touch me. <laughs> he is embodied. Touch the scars in my hands and in my side. It is the same Jesus who died on the cross. But his body has different properties. There's something different about his body. Uh, he can appear. He appeared in a room where the doors were locked. Right? And then we see other post-resurrection appearances, stories where they don't recognize who Jesus is. On the road to Emmaus, he's walking with disciples and they don't recognize who he is until he has fellowship with them at the table. Their eyes are opened. But there's something mysterious about the resurrected body. There's continuity with the body that was, but it has new properties. It's transformed in a different, in a, in a, in a mysterious way. And that's what Paul said. Don't be foolish and think that we're talking about a body that's liable to corruption. No, that's the seed from which emerges a body that's going to be imperishable. How will this resurrected body be different? Well, he says, what is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. Sown in weakness. But raised in power. By the power of God. And that's a great hope. I mean, we see this in our daily life and we see it in our culture. And, in, and, it's, and it's kind of hard to see. It's hard to see people who were in their youth very vital and strong Breaking down and getting weak. Right? It's hard to see that. It's hard to process that. It's hard to understand that that's, that's going to happen to us if we live long enough. Body's going to break down. I mean, did you watch the opening day of the Cardinals? The, uh, the other day, the opening ceremonies with the Cardinals? And, um, you know, they, they bring out all the Hall of Famers that are, well, maybe not all of them, but many of them are, are still alive. And they, they have them in the convertibles as they go around the stadium. And I was really struck by Lou Brock. Lou Brock, who was, in his day, one of the fastest baseball players and the, one of the greatest steal, base stealers. And, and he had to be helped. So his legs is what made him who he was, right? And he had to be helped out of the convertible with two men on his side 
And he walked with a, a cane. He's, I think he's had surgery. His legs had to be amputated. Or one leg has had to be amputated. So, I mean, that's what we're talking about is, is the, the weakness of the body. But then this great hope, the Christian who dies in weakness, Paul says, is going to be raised in power. In power. The same God who designed plants to emerge from tiny seeds can raise dead bodies to new forms of life. To glorious life, to imperishable life, empowered by God for new and unending life. So that's something that the body is going to be different, have new properties. It's going to be fit for eternal glory. Now, what is the basis of this hope? This is a great hope. The world cannot provide this kind of hope. What's the basis of this, of course, is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's the fact of what happened to Jesus and, and that's where Paul, Paul uh, talks about Jesus. He, he, I don't think he uses, no, he doesn't. He talks about the last Adam. He doesn't use the name of Jesus here. But when he talks about the last Adam, who's he talking about? He's talking about Jesus. The first Adam is the Adam of Genesis. The first Adam represents um, humanity of the old creation. Humanity subject to death. Humanity subject to the effects of sin. Adam of the dust. The second Adam, that is the Lord Jesus Christ, represents and embodies the new creation. Humanity in the new creation. Creation 2.0. Or creation infinitely greater than what we can imagine. And so... um, this is the basis for our hope. It's, it's what has happened to Jesus Christ. When we are united with him, we share in this victory over death, hell, and the grave. And we share in this hope of a resurrected body. Thus, as it is written, verse 45, the first man, Adam, the Adam of Genesis, became a living being. He's quoting there from Genesis when God breathed the breath of life into Adam's form. And Adam became an animated, a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. Now, by that, he doesn't mean that Jesus was and is a disembodied spirit. He means that it's through Jesus that you receive the life-giving spirit. The first Adam had the life-giving spirit of God breathed into him in Genesis. The last Adam, Jesus Christ, breathes He's the one who gives the life-giving spirit. We see that in the gospel story. He breathed on the disciples and they received what? They received the Holy Spirit. So it's through the risen Christ that we have this hope of a resurrected body. He's the one who has the, the power. It's through, through God working through Christ that is our hope of Resurrection. That is the basis of our hope for resurrection. The first man was from the earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are of the dust, that's us. As is the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. The man of heaven, that is Jesus Christ, is the one who makes it possible for us to be fit for heaven, ready for heaven. Okay, so that's that's the basis of our hope that we have. You know, there are all sorts of accounts in our culture, and I've 
talked to a lot of different people who've had near-death experiences or who have died and been brought back to life through medical technology, and I've read lots of stories about that. There's lots of speculation on what happens when you die and beyond, right, from these stories. And so you get different stories. You get different experiences. If you actually read through them or listen to people, some people say, I saw a light. Not everybody says that. Some people say, I didn't see a light. Some people I've heard, I, I know one lady who died and said, I saw dead relatives. And then I know a young man who was clinically dead for many, if I don't remember exact time, it was over 30 minutes. And when he died, he said, I didn't see a light. I didn't encounter anybody. It was just like I fell asleep and there was darkness. Then I've heard a story of somebody who died and said, I did see something. I saw a dark presence coming for me. This is a person who wasn't a Christian. When they came back, guess what? They became a Christian. <laughs> but so you get these different accounts. So what do we base it on? Not on these stories. I mean, they're interesting. But we base our hope on what happens after death on the risen Christ. He's the only one who's died and been raised to new life. He's the only one that has experienced this resurrection. And so he is, he's made a way. And we trust in him. It, it, it's like the story of, of what happened during the age of the explorers. During the Middle Ages, there were people who speculated over the possibility of a route to India. They wanted to get to India by the sea so that they could get to that land of spices and perfumes. Nobody could get their way around the southern tip of Africa. And some people didn't know if there was a way beyond the southern tip of Africa. And so there were many sailors who tried. And, and they called the, the southern tip of Africa the Cape of Storms. The Cape of Storms because so many people failed. And, um, and sailors were sunk and lost. There was one sailor who was determined to try it again and again, and that was Vasco da Gama. He was the first sailor to sail around the, the, the Horn of Africa, the tip there, and actually then go to India. There was one other explorer who went around, but then turned back. But Vasco da Gama made it all the way to India. And after Vasco da Gama's victory, there was no doubt that there was a way to the Orient. And the name was changed from Cape of Storms the Cape of Good Hope. And, you know, until the death and resurrection of Jesus, life after death was like that. It was a matter of speculation and, and fear. But now we have a solid basis. The second Adam. The second Adam has made a way. Jesus Christ. And then Paul says something here that really caught my attention. If I had this sermon to do over again, I would just preach on this verse. Maybe I'll come back to it. <laughs> Because this is, I think, this is what everything is heading to in this passage, and I messed it until too late in the week. <laughs> Just be honest. I mean, everything is driving, I think, right here to verse 49, which is why I wanted you to read this. Just as we, just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, the first Adam, liable to corruption and death and sickness, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. What is the glory of the resurrected body? He talks about the glory of various bodies here. The glory of the sun, the glory of the moon, the glory of the stars, and various stars within the solar system have different kinds of glory. Well, what's the glory of the, resurrection, the resurrected body? 
It's this. To bear the image of the Son of Man. To bear the image of Christ. That's creation restored. That's creation perfected. And so God gives us a glorified body so we can bear the image of His Son, Jesus Christ. That's what all this is headed towards. So that our body will be fit to experience the glory of heaven and will manifest in an embodied way something of the glory of heaven. I love thinking about that and meditating on that. And I think we need poetry and we need music and we need imagery to just begin to wrap our minds around it because we're so obviously earthly bound. We need to think about the glory of heaven in an embodied way. One way that I do that periodically, I'm sure all of us do this as well, is I turn to an 18th century Puritan. Don't you love to go to the 18th century Puritans to think about this? I know some of you do. I know some of you do. But Jonathan Edwards, I go back to this sermon that he preached. The great 18th century Puritan preacher, Jonathan Edwards, preached a sermon called Heaven is a World of Love. And in that sermon, he gives images and pictures of what heaven will be like. And it gets you excited for that experience of being in the presence of God. He says, heaven, imagine heaven like this. Heaven, heaven is like at the center of it is this fountain of love. That is the love that exchange is exchanged between the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit. That is at the center of heaven that is overflowing to the saints. So he said, God's love, the triune God, his love is like a fountain that overflows into rivers of delight. And the saints swim in that river and drink of that river. And he says in that sermon, he says, now, we we have barriers to experiencing the love of God like that. We get a little glimpse of it. We get drops, as it were, in this life of the love of God. But there are limitations. There are barriers. There are obstacles in heaven. There won't be any Barriers or obstacles to experiencing the love of God like that. Part of the barrier is our physical limitations. We, we don't know how to express verbally the love of God in a fitting way. Our bodies are often inclined to sin. Our bodies get tired and we wonder, when is the preacher going to end the sermon? <laughs> We're ready to eat. Go to lunch. So we have these limitations and part of it is physical. But in heaven, there will be such a unity between the glorified body and our souls. When he talks about a spiritual body here, he's not talking about a non-physical body. He's talking about a body that will that will that will be inclined to obey the motions of the spirit, be dominated by the spirit of God. So often now our souls, our spirits are dominated by our bodily impulses. That won't be the case in heaven. It'll be a life dominated by the spirit. And so Edwards gives this image. He says in heaven, our bodies and our souls will be perfectly united and inflamed with the love of God. And then he gives this image, which I think will warm your heart <laughs> because of this um, interminable winter that we've are experiencing. He says the love of God will be like the warmth and power of the sunlight and the saints will be like flowers that open themselves to be filled with his warmth and light and we will flourish in the beauty 
of His race. Beautiful imagery. This is the destiny of the resurrected body. Johnny Erickson Tata has been in a wheelchair for 40 plus years in, in her life. And, and she wrote this about heaven. She said, she talked about how she looks forward to running and walking and touching and holding again in heaven. But she said this, she said, the best thing about heaven will be a pure heart, no longer weighed down by sin and selfishness. The image of God completely restored. Body and soul united and inflamed by the love of God. What a glorious future we have. So let's strengthen ourselves in this hope. This has been a season these last couple of weeks in the life of Church of the Resurrection and in my own pastoral ministry where I've done a lot of praying over bodies, broken bodies. We have Ken Allen, who we need to keep in prayer. He's suffering temporary paralysis of his body, of his arms. He's getting better every day. We need to keep praying for Ken, who's had this, who's had this accident. Prayed for people who are dying. Prayed for people who have had major heart surgery. And when you're facing something like that, you need this hope. You need to be strengthened in this hope. And we need to share this hope with others. Amen. Lord, this is a hope that the world cannot provide. This is a hope that is made possible, O God, by Your power and Your love, which is the motivation for raising us in this form of life so we can enjoy You forever and we can delight in You and in the fellowship of the saints together, all united around Your glorious presence. Thank You so much for this hope. And we pray, God, for people who don't have this hope that we would be willing to share this because they are facing a Christless future, a Christless eternity. Stir up our hearts to share the Gospel. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Would you please stand and let's recite the words of our faith.